Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now that, my friends, is what you call a football Saturday. Welcome in. Thank you for listening to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for The Free. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider. And Reiner, that was a fantastic day of college football. How did you enjoy it? Yeah, I watched it from pretty much beginning to end and uh, fell asleep with uh, Pac-12 at night. And uh, I, would, I wish I could have stayed up through the end of it, but I but I couldn't make it. Yeah, Pac-12 after dark. Uh, it, it'll get you. It'll get you. We <laughs> I, I, I we powered through and we discussed it. Yeah. Colorado, Colorado State game the week before last night. The, those late games, not quite as enticing. Washington. I mean, that offense continues. Incredible. To juggernaut. I mean, you saw it firsthand <laughs> the week before in, in East yeah. Lansing uh, doing it again. USC. Pushed a little bit by Arizona State, but man, I mean, oh, after week three, dude, we deserved that. We earned that. Not we, you and I, we, the nation, we, the supporters, those who who cover, who watch, who consume college football. I mean, six ranked matchups and then Ford State Clemson, Michigan making a statement. I mean, all over. Was there anything nationally like like what what stood out to you i mean we're gonna we're gonna get into the big 10 in segment b we're gonna get really deep into into michigan as well but how about nationally what what stood out well i think florida state beating clemson was a pretty significant uh win especially for that program beating them for the first time and and i think it was five years or or six seven years. straight losses seven, uh, seven, straight, straight, losses. seven yeah. straight losses and so okay and and then you have them basically in the inside lane for the college football playoff. So uh, their their schedule was front-loaded. And so them beating Clemson this week really kind of, again, sets them up for a really banner season for for FSU and Mike Norvell. Yeah, it does, which is super relevant for Michigan, right? I mean, four spots. I'm going to – I mean, we're going to have to get into this further. I, I'm just having been an AP voter this year, I'm watching more like like very concentrated the, the, the top 10 to 15 teams very closely. There are 12 serious business teams this year, at least. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think teams that I think right now, I would not be surprised if made the college football playoff. There are four in the Pac-12 that I think could make the college football playoff. If you have one from the Pac-12 taking a spot, if you have one from the ACC taking a spot, we haven't even got to the SEC. How are two Big Ten teams going to get in? With Michigan, with Ohio State, with Penn State? I mean, it is so loaded this year. I I, I think we. Are, I'm going to plant my flag now. We might be setting up for one of the most historic college football seasons of all time. Well, let's really make the case for why the college football playoff should be expanded this year in particular. Uh, but it also go back, going back to the Florida State victory over LSU in, 
in week one. That's why that game was so significant uh, for Michigan fans. Michigan fans would have probably preferred OSU to uh, win that game because the SEC is such a grind, whereas you know the ACC does not have uh, the same level of competition across the board. So uh, Florida State's path is much you know clearer now uh, after beating Clemson, they again have a, a fairly navigable schedule to get through uh, to the ACC title game and then eventually the college football playoffs. So uh, for Florida State, again, be you know coming out of this uh, month four and zero is pretty pretty uh, good for their chances as far as making the college football playoff. Yes, and for all our Florida State coverage, you can subscribe to Knowles. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna we're gonna move it on to Michigan. But mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, a, a lot of that work is done. They do have games against Duke, against Miami left. Those look tougher, but both are at home, and so and and there's no divisions in the in the ACC anymore. It is just the top two teams go, going to to the ACC title game. So very very relevant. However, while everyone at Florida State was through the moon happy yesterday. I think maybe the happiest man in college football, Jim Harbaugh, uh, his return to Michigan, to Michigan Stadium after his three-game suspension, uh, a 31 to seven. He he oversees a, a 31 to seven victory, uh, 31 unanswered, uh, and he he was in peak Jim Harbaugh form after the game, Ryan. Yeah, he seemed very excited about the performance that Michigan had. Uh, seemed excited to be back on the sideline. Overall, he had to be impressed with how the running game responded, how his team responded after getting punched in the mouth uh, right out of the gate with the uh, 69-yard touchdown off the slant route on the third play of, of the game. And so uh, his team you know, kind of settled in and played their game, uh, controlled time of possession, uh, you know, limited to the turnovers on their end. I mean, the stuff that J.J. McCarthy did against Bowling Green, was eliminated, and he was a huge asset to the running game, open lanes. And so uh, it was overall a very solid performance for Michigan and kind of alleviated some of the concerns about the program heading into the game. It was because Michigan just hadn't overwhelmed uh, three teams that it had a decided uh, talent advantage against. And so there was a little bit of concern Entering the game, especially when you consider Rutgers just hammered Virginia Tech, right? And looked pretty impressive imposing its will on the ground and, and then shutting down opponents running games. They were number 11 in the nation coming in and Michigan was not even in the top half of the country running the ball before this game. Uh, you mentioned the the early touchdown Rutgers scored. Uh, Mike Sane was still who... I think you and I would both agree has maybe been Michigan's best defender so far this year. And that is saying something uh, because this is a unit that is loaded with talent. Uh, He's in man coverage. He slips (laughs) 69 yards later. It's a house call. Uh, Then the offense goes three and out. The defense does force a punt. However, Jake Thaw, and I I think Michigan is going to go on a quick, quick aside with Tyler Morris in the punt return game. I just, I haven't seen a lot out of Jake Thaw. Um, Yet, I've seen a number of times, this is at least the third time I can recall, that he has let a, p- a punt bounce over his head. Uh, this seems insignificant, but someday these will be significant plays. Uh, and Michigan, instead of getting the ball at its 30, got pinned on its six. However, Reiner, that is when Michigan engineered a seven-play, 94-yard drive that completely changed the tenor of the game. And I think you did a great job of detailing and asking about afterwards 
uh, as we were talking about during it, all the different things Michigan was showing it could do. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, again, motioned Donovan Edwards across the formation, sprung him wide open, uh, defense didn't pick him up, he got a 33-yard gain, and they, you know, run a flea flicker with with Colston Loveland, that was obviously a product, it's basically a play-action play, uh, again, set up by their running game, which they showed earlier in the drive with Quorum's kind of rugged 14-yard run. And then the flea flicker was really well executed. Again, a delayed release from Colson Loveland looked like he was going to block. And then he, you know, goes out on the in, uh, in the seam and catches the pass, gets them down near the goal line. And then it's just typical Michigan football blast away at the goal line, and Quorum, you know, goes over uh, over the goal line on a on a little dive play. So. It was uh, it was an impressive drive by Michigan, kind of really showcased what they're all about uh, from an offensive standpoint and uh, definitely changed the, the complexion of the game from that point forward. Showcased the balance, certainly. And Jim Harbaugh sort of gave his his Bo Schembechler impression after the game about how uh, it was it was a game Bo would have loved 200 yards through the air, 200 yards on the ground. And, and that drive is is where that started. Um, now, I want to turn our attention to the run game because that was going to be the de- what determined this game. If you looked at the box score and you looked at, at both rushing lines, you'd have a pretty good idea of how the game finished. Michigan, 40 rushes, 201 yards. That's five yards a carry. Rutgers, 23 rushes, 77 yards, just more than three yards a carry. Um, and Michigan's run game, I believe, and I think both of us believe, was able to excel more against a stouter front than it did in the non-conference because of what it was not willing to do or did not want to show or was hesitant to do. And that's let JJ use his legs as well. He ran seven times for 51 yards, uh, really seven for 60, uh, not, not counting the sacks. Five for 60, not counting the sacks. Yeah, he was very effective pulling the ball, getting to the... Uh, edge of the defense, uh, uh, they couldn't contain him on the edges, uh, Rutgers. And so uh, that, again, opened up more lanes on the inside for Blake Corum, especially in the A and B gaps. Uh, it basically spread out the, the Rutgers defense uh, where they couldn't load in the box uh, quite as much as they probably wanted to. And so uh, McCarthy really... Uh, adds a different element to the running game and creates issues for the opposing defense that has to kind of be, be honest in how they play Michigan now, um, knowing that, you know, McCarthy could easily pull the ball at any moment and take off and run. I mean, he, again, showed an incredible ability basically to, to not uh, uh, get stopped, I guess, uh, you know, on the edges and just to be able to avoid uh, – you know, oncoming tacklers uh, as much, and even get to the sideline and get out without being harmed. That's yeah. that's the that's the key there as well. Because if Michigan is going to continue to let him use his legs more than just the improvising, right? More than the the scrambling, the extending plays, but designed runs. If Michigan's going to do that, JJ has to show the coaches, look, you can trust me to protect myself and get what I can but then accept, accept where, where I shouldn't be be fighting for extra yardage. And Blake Corum, 21 rushes, 97 yards, two score. Now, he said that J.J. opens up – I mean, 
the threat of JJ, just the threat of him helps helps open him up tremendously. And I mean, there was a, you said it. I mean, there was a third and three, there was a fourth and one, a number of times JJ just moved, moved the sticks with his legs. Uh, and, and that's going to continue to to help Coram. Here is just one small aside. I don't know if there's a leg or, or, or an arm to go off on, but I wanted to make sure I made a note of it. Michigan could have given Blake Coram another run in the fourth quarter to get him to his hundred yards. They didn't. I think I'm just filing that away as a mental note of a team that knows this season is not about those awards, right? Like Blake, like they, like they were talking about Heisman and different things and different things like all throughout, all throughout the season. Blake Horm has not run for, I mean, he, he had 101 yards on the ground last week, 97, right? He has not had a big game. He's got, he's got eight touchdowns. He's having a great season. He's going to be an all big 10 back. He might be an all American also because of his name, but they're not, they're going to use him as is effective, but they're not just, they're not just trying to be cute. And I, 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 I appreciated that. I don't know if that even matters. I don't know if I'm looking too far into that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, a big deal one way or the other. And I don't think Blake Horm's the type of player that really cares about that uh, as much as right. maybe, maybe some other kind of star level player. Uh, I think he's just happy. And he's, and he's repeatedly said that, I mean, the goal is to win the game. And so that's what Michigan is doing. And that's what they did in the second half. I mean, the whole second half was designed just to kind of get out of there uh, as quickly and efficiently as possible. Yeah. And when they did that, as we've continued to say, it's happened on the ground. But something that stuck out to me when it when Quorum did come out of the game after those uh, final twenty one those twenty one carries and Michigan was salting the, the game away on the ground, it was Kalel Mullings who came in and not Donovan Edwards. Reiner, uh, Michigan has had a very solid start to the season. If I was to single out a, a single most disappointing aspect, surprising aspect for me personally, uh, there's there's no question. Uh, it's Edwards. Six carries, 13 yards. Uh, he still has not found the end zone this year. And really, even on the play that you mentioned, uh, as they scheme him open in the passing game, they move him in motion. Rucker's defense, it's, it's, uh, it's a blown assignment. Nobody yeah. goes with him. And the play was designed to get him in motion, to get him open. Now, he, like I said, is a fantastic athlete. He has the capability of making people miss. He has the capability of running around people, through people. But on that play, he didn't do it. And so, like, and so, yes, he still got the 33 yards, but it didn't prove anything to me. It was just a free play. On his other seven touches, he got like 20 yards total. I mean, I, I don't know. It, I don't know what Michigan should do here. Uh, I, I, re- I really don't. Uh, if Kalel needs to be the second back, uh, if you consider using Donovan more. As, as, as a slot receiver uh, where he has been more effective in the pass game than the run game, or if Mike Hart continues to do uh, what he's done and not listen to, to my advice or my thoughts as he should not, uh, and, and just continue to trust uh, that Donovan can be effective in the run game. Where are you on, on that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think there is obviously a heightened level of concern there. Um, and I think it goes back to the fact that Michigan hasn't really been that great uh, up the middle as far as run blocking is concerned. I mean, if you look at the numbers that uh, pro football focus had, I mean, they were, you know, pretty much struggling in the a gap, uh, you know, with, with runs. And some of those runs are kind of the ones that 
Donovan Edwards is pretty good at, uh, just kind of that one cut and burst through the hole. And so if that's not opened up for him, he can't get to that second level or third level, and he's not one to break a lot of tackles. So I think Michigan uh, you know, has to be aware of some of their limitations and the way that they use uh, and deploy Donovan Edwards. To, to your point, uh, Blake Quorum, five rushes through the A-gap uh, yesterday. Sorry, we're recording Sunday shortly before noon. Uh, so on Saturday, five rushes for 11 yards through the A-gap. But Edwards did not have any carries direct, directly up the middle this week. So, may, I mean, may, maybe there is something to, to be said about utilizing him for his strengths. However, I do think Edwards is best on the edge, right, on, on that off-tackle run when he can – Put, when he looks like he's running off the tackle, if he's running right, puts that right foot in the ground, plants, and then turns north and south, but makes decided cuts, not just lollygagging, but he like he needs to make a decision and and, and make a choice. And so uh, I'm not, I'm not sure where where the offense goes from there. But and, and remember, last year uh, Blake Horm is a Heisman front runner, right? And then for me, I was not a Heisman voter, but when he goes out and Donovan Edwards comes in and runs 22 times for 216 yards, I'm like, well, Blake's a tremendous player, but that takes away from me or it shows me that the offensive line is really doing a lot. Look at the work Blake Corum is doing right now compared to Edwards behind the same line. I mean, for anybody who was <laughs> who had any question about, about the, the, the running levels of, of these two backs, um, just based on numbers and efficiency and explosion last year, the, the answers are coming through right now. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think Blake Worm is obviously a very talented runner, especially in tight spaces. And again, the blocking hasn't been as clean. So he's been more effective in trying to make something out of nothing. Uh, a la Ken Walker for Michigan State in 2021. I mean, Kenneth Walker was a uh, uh, it was the same way. And uh, Blake Quorum is, you know, has that same ability to kind of make something out of nothing, being able to operate in, in tight spaces and uh, turn maybe a two yard gain into a four yard gain or uh, uh, basically a, a stuff into a two yard gain or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, again, Blake Quorum is probably a more complete running back and more talented as far as uh, a, as a runner and more more elusive in some ways than than Donovan Edwards. I'd say he's 90 to 95 percent of last year right now. Right. What do you think? I agree. I think yeah. About- yeah. Yeah. I think that that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, the the best thing I saw was, again, in the Bowling Green game where, uh, you know, again, he, it looked like he was doing a lot of the same things uh, he did last year. Uh, being able to kind of maneuver in and out, uh, hit that extra gear right out of his cuts. So uh, any concern about Blake Corum coming off the knee injury, I think should be kind of pushed to the side at this point. I mean, he he looks like the same player he was last year. Yeah, yeah certainly well past that 21 carries. Uh, they're giving him the workload. So no, no longer any concerns. Um, a unit that never had any concerns uh, was the defense and – there are fewer and fewer by the week. Uh, another unbelievable performance. Just starting, and, and I think we need to start with with the run defense specifically. Uh, a week prior, Rutgers ran forty some times for two hundred and fifty six yards and four touchdowns, averaged seven and a half yards a carry. 
Michigan's run defense without Mason Graham, mind you, who might be alongside Chris Jenkins, the best interior run defender on this team held Rutgers to 23 carries for 77 yards. Yeah. And they, they had a little bit of issues at the beginning of the game. And then it just seemed to solidify as the game went on. Uh, Maybe that had something to do with, again, Michigan being able to take the lead and uh, being able to kind of put pressure on, uh, Wimsett and Rutgers' offense as far as strategy was concerned. I mean, they couldn't necessarily run the ball, especially in the second half when they got down by uh, double digits, uh, you know, uh, especially after the picks uh, six from Mike Sanristow. I mean, the, the complexion of the game, you know, totally changed at that point. But, yes, I think the overall the run run wall was pretty impressive across the board. I mean, the fact that they did that without Mason Graham, who's one of their best run defenders too, is, it's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah. And, and Mikey saying, uh, the, the pick six that you mentioned, uh, comes on a fourth and two, uh, Rutgers on Michigan's, uh, 27, but that by that point, uh, the way they had started getting down the field was a couple of, I mean, really incredible throw and catches. Uh, some of the better throws I've seen Gat Wimsett make, I mean, from from one hash to the opposite sideline with a defender in like in blanket coverage. So, I mean, Rutgers was having to work for everything they were getting just to get down the field in that third quarter. But Michigan knew they had all but abandoned the run, right? And that is what allows someone like, a heads up player like Sainer still to pin two with everyone pitting their ears back. He can have his eyes in the backfield, read the quarterback and then just jump a screen route, right? Like jumping a screen route, you re- you know, it's coming. Uh, and, and, and that's what happens when you, when you're, you're gearing up, when you have eliminated one, the, the strength of one team and you can expect the other, even on a fourth and two, which Rutgers had, is, is often a, a run a run scenario, a read option run that they could hand off or keep with Wimsett. Yeah, but Sanders still has played offense. You know, he was a former receiver and just understands what's going on, how receivers get in and out of their breaks, what they're planning to do. And he read that you can just see like he the way he came up and just swooped in and grabbed that ball. I mean, he was he was reading it from the get-go, knew exactly what the receiver was about to do. And beat him to the punch, and that was a that was a, one of the most impressive uh, plays of the season so far. Uh, and you know, just more evidence of how uh, sharp of a player he is. Um, he, again, he's I, I think can make a you can make a very good case that he's the most uh, uh, impactful defensive player for Michigan. Yep, I mean, right, right now, I, I have. As, as we've said a couple times, uh, I had to do an AP All-American vote before the season and, and voting for the AP throughout the year. He's playing like an All-American. I mean, I have not seen – he has been the best defender on both teams two or three out of the four weeks. I mean, Jalen Harrell has popped he, a, a couple times. Uh, Mason Mason Graham's had a nice week. Kenneth Grant had a nice week. Chris Jenkins had, had a good time, but nobody – Week in, week out, tackles for loss, sacks, PBUs, interceptions, uh, just in, and at the nickel spot, right in in a in a, in Michigan's multiple defense that changes forms and is very malleable. A lot is asked of that position. I mean, it's it's just hard to overstate. 
how much he unlocks. Do you remember when they were talking about uh, the the CB2 spot and how they're like, we might need to put Mikey Sainer still out there um, just because, but they always wanted him at the nickel, but they just needed him to, to be on the field. Uh, I'm, they are, they are so glad that Josh Wallace is working out on the outside so far and that that has left Mikey where, uh, where he was last year, where he thrived and where he's continued to help this defense grow. Yeah. Well, the nickel back is so important in today's, uh, you know, college football, uh, with the way that, you know, teams attack. I mean, it's a spread formations, a lot of, you know, three by one looks and such. And that's where a guy like him, uh, or, you know, three by one, two by two, whatever it is. I mean, he, he can, he can defend all routes, uh, knows exactly, you know, what receivers are looking for, knows the importance of leverage, just again, based on his experience as a receiver, uh, he's perfect for that position. And it shows, I mean, again, uh, I go back to, you know, my time covering Alabama and the star position, which is the nickelback was pretty much the most important position. And usually Nick Saban put his most intelligent player in that position. And that was uh, during one period when I was covering Alabama was Minka Fitzpatrick. And there's some He's decent. Similar, yeah. There's some similarities between Mike Sandra still and Minka Fitzpatrick and that, you know, they know exactly where to be at the right time. And they're always around the ball making plays. I mean, it's hard to overstate uh, the decision Jim Harbaugh made to move him from one side of the ball to the other for Sainer still to, to have the belief, the vision uh, to, to execute it. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk to his, I'm talking to his mom later today, uh, starting to work on a feature uh, about just how much that really uh, his Mikey Sainer still's impact, uh, what, what it unlocked uh, for, for this Michigan program. Uh, and it all started when he was a, was a young receiver uh, which brings us full circle uh, how I'd like to put a bow on this Rutgers game, if we could, before we move on to some some Big Ten talk at large. A, an impressive young receiver yesterday, Samaj Morgan. Uh, he was only on the play on the field for three plays, but man, it felt like more because he, he ran routes on all three. He was targeted on two. He grabbed both passes that were thrown his way. One of them was an 18-yard touchdown. Yeah, it's impressive, again, considering he's a true freshman. And it's hard for a true freshman to to get on the field at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh seems to like to you know, kind of uh, wait a little bit to see how they develop before kind of putting them in uh, critical situations. Uh, and, I mean, he was out there in the second quarter and, uh, yeah, and was uh, responsible for giving Michigan the lead, uh, which kind of indicates – how uh, valuable they see him already uh, and what, it, what potential impact he can make over the course of the, maybe the next three or four years uh, at Michigan. I mean, the, the fact that he's already on the field and uh, leapfrogged other receivers uh, that are older than he is on the roster is pretty, is pretty impressive. As has Frederick Moore, who was on the field uh, for right. nine snaps. Uh, also, also ran three... Uh, three routes so well while he did not he was not uh the the recipient um the trust is there as well and um and that's a really good sign for for michigan when you have two when your two leading receivers are both seniors you know there's going to to be some turnover so to see that next crop already learning with them uh is is a wonderful sign and i guess last but but not least i i think i already said that but we really gotta talk just more very quickly jj mccarthy 
nice bounce back from JJ, right? Uh, I, I mean, it's amazing. We made it about 25 minutes without mentioning that. Uh, great. What the You see what can happen when the run game helps you, right? Uh, and, and when he is allowed to, to get involved uh, with, with his legs too. 15 and 21 passing, 214 yards, the lone touchdown to Samaj Morgan. Good bounce back. Yeah, I mean, and he made some, again, impressive throws. He uh, threw some tight window throws. There was the throw to Loveland in the second half uh, in in coverage where he put the ball exactly where it needed to be so he can make a play. Um, that was impressive, just given the fact that yeah, maybe McCarthy would have been a little bit gun-shy coming out of the Bowling Green game after throwing three interceptions and 13 attempts. But he still was pushing the ball downfield. But in this case, he was making good decisions and not just kind of uh, uh, just throwing the ball up there and hoping his receiver would come down to it. He he was throwing it into a part where, you know, the receiver can make a play on the ball. And even the Savage Morgan uh, touchdown was similar. He threw the he threw him open, essentially put him in a situation where only he can make the play. And so. Uh, overall, he was making very, very sound decisions, especially with as it relates to how he was running the football, when to pull it. Um, you know, he was also getting out of bounds, like we alluded to in the uh, earlier in the segment. And so, I think again, it was a very encouraging performance considering what he did the previous week and how kind of concerning that was. Yeah, solid game all around. That's uh, why uh, we, we both gave it good marks uh, in pretty much everything we wrote on Freak.com. And now that was a good way for Michigan to end its home stretch as it only has one home game between now and November 4th. Uh, Going to hit the road against Nebraska next week. So on the other side of the break, we'll get a little bit into that and just sort of how Michigan compares to the rest of the Big Ten East landscape. Uh, at this point, you're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. It is now time to expand our scope, take a look at the Big Ten, and much to the chagrin uh, of those who listen to this podcast, Reiner, there was no bigger winner in the country, much less the Big Ten, than the as they say, Ohio State Buckeyes, gutty, gritty, comeback, impressive comeback win uh, on the road against Notre Dame, 17-14. It's true, and Ryan Day clearly hates Lou Holtz. <laughs> I mean, it was, oh, uh, yeah, he was not happy with uh, the comments about toughness and the narrative that's kind of built around the Ohio State program uh, since they've been blasted by Michigan uh, each of the last two years. Uh, he seems very sensitive to that. But again, Ohio State showed some real guts at the end of that game. I mean, Kyle McCord stepped up and made some big-time throws to get them down to the, the goal line. And then, you know, again, that was a product also of 
a misalignment by Notre Dame. I mean, they had only ten, 10, players, 10 players on the on the field on the which is inexcusable. I mean, how do, how does that happen that a program like that with all the analysts uh, and defensive staff available? Uh, you can't have that. Um, that's a huge, huge oversight on their part in, in such a critical moment. But you know, give give the give Ohio State credit. I mean, there were a lot of questions going into that game whether they could, you know, play a kind of tough physical game and grind it out against a team like Notre Dame, and they took care of business and uh, and got away with the victory. So they're set up pretty well for the rest of the season. I mean, they have a big test against Penn State, and of course. They'll face Michigan, but uh, you know they're obviously their playoffs. Their playoff chances are enhanced, obviously now. But now they have a feather in their cap, right? Should they? Right. Should let's say they all hold serve at home, right? Ohio right. State wins at home. Penn State wins at home. Michigan wins at home. They all have one loss. There are so many tiebreakers and weird things about how that determines who goes to the Big Ten championship. I believe. It's like strength of conference opponent schedule. So like your your conference opponents, how strong are they? So whoever mm-hmm. plays the toughest uh, opponents uh, in the league. So, they, so Ohio State doesn't get credit for that Notre Dame win. However, I believe the thinking was Michigan preseason was slightly favored in that metric. So let's say that all holds true. They all go one and one. Michigan goes. Uh, to the college football playoff. Elsewhere, there's chaos. And and that four spot, just like Ohio State slid into it last year, is open again. We saw Ohio State slide into it without a, a, a win of this caliber. Um, and so that's another – it's certainly, uh, I, I mean, a big, a big step for the Buckeyes. But also, if you're Ryan Day, I mean, this, ha- this had to be just the longest time coming. I mean, think of – there are quite the narratives surrounding a coach who's 49 and six, right? I mean, I mean, yes, Michigan has handed it to him the last two years, straight handed it to him. And that doesn't fly in Columbus and can't and shouldn't. But man, did they still have a lead on Georgia against national champion Georgia and looked every bit like they belonged on the same field as them a, a few months later or a few weeks later. Like Ohio State is legit. And oh, I mean, Michigan is is obviously every 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 bit as legit. And and if you're Ryan Day, you're just so sick of people getting away. To, I mean, there's a lot of things you can let someone call your team. Soft is about the worst as a football coach. I agree, and uh, you know, I mean, I think he's a he's a very good coach. They're a very good program, but they also recruit a ton of really good athletes. So. It's inexcusable in some ways for them to get beat up at the line of scrimmage the way that they have uh, against Michigan. And the tenor of the program has only by Michigan, only by Michigan. And Michigan is the best offensive line in the nation. Like, I don't want to slate Michigan by by hammering Ohio State. It's not that Ohio State's bad. Michigan is that good. Yeah, but Michigan made them, you know, play their style of football. Michigan posed their will on Ohio State. They have less talent that's inarguable uh ohio state has the talent advantage it, it does uh the you know the, the recruiting rankings show it it's it's just it's just the truth michigan beat them by okay sheer, so is mike, is mike t sanger still one? not talented he's three yeah. stars rod moore he's three stars you know what i mean like but yes ohio state has those high high level guys but michigan is past that 
Michigan is past like this is not the 2019 level of Michigan talent. Well, no, I mean the 2019 team might have actually had more talent, you know, uh, across the board. Michigan had those stars, but I don't care about stars. Michigan, well, I mean, but Michigan had it does matter to some extent. I mean, that's why teams like Georgia end up winning the national championship. The stars do matter. Yes, they do. And so when you have, you know, the players and all coaches will admit this, the players make the program. And so, uh, but the coach has has an ability to uh, impress his uh, mindset onto his players. And Urban Meyer was able to do that well with being able to create some measure of balance between strength and finesse. Now the, the balance shifted a little bit towards finesse with Ryan day. And I think he, you know, would probably admit to that to some extent. But college football has shifted towards finesse. Well, to some extent, but Michigan has it. I mean, Michigan was able to find the one thing that was really, that they found a weakness in Ohio state through their ability to use strength. But Michigan was flying in the face of the trajectory of college football. Sure. Michigan is do is, is going again. Like so so Ohio State is trying to keep I mean X's and Joe's and Jimmy's and X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, right? Ohio State still has the like yes, they 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 got all the guys and they're trying to keep up in the same same schematic ways. Michigan well, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with that. And you know that that's how you get all those talented players is because of the scheme. But the thing is is that Michigan uh you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, appeal to those kind of players. They appeal to the more rugged, physical type players, and they're you know they, they use that toughness to beat up Ohio State in those two games, and that's how that narrative came to came to be, and that's why Lou Holtz has pointed it out. And you know, again, Ohio State showed some some toughness, but even leading up to that final play, I mean, they got stopped a couple of times on in very short yardage situations. They ran a Omeka uh, Buka jet sweep. Yeah, jet sweep. yeah, exactly. On a which looked like you don't. Michigan would not run a jet sweep on that kind of play. Uh, Michigan it, ran. Michigan ran a, a little pitch pass to Colston Loveland, uh, like yeah. thing on on fourth and two. Uh, they, they did. Michigan did on fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two against TCU. But I think again that was an early situation. Fourth and one, late in the game, four four minutes left. Do you think that Michigan's going to run that kind of play? Jets with the Roman Wilson? No, no. <laughs> they're going to they're going to probably pound it up the middle with Blake. Moore. Right, you're right. And, you know, you're right. And that's just the way that they are. And so there there is some truth to the, what did the, Ohio State do with the game online? They they ran the ball, but I mean they should have run the ball. They had ten defenders, and you know again there was a misalignment with the Notre Dame. They saw a weakness on the left side. Uh, with the uh, the defense shifted towards the right, and that's what you that's what a good coach does. And Ryan Day is a good coach, but there's a reason why that narrative existed. There there is, and but but what we I guess I just I don't I want to make sure it's not lost that. Ohio State is not just soft because Michigan manhandled them. Michigan manhandled everybody. It was concerning the way Ohio State quit in that fourth quarter at Columbus. If you're if you're a Buckeye, right? Like a Buckeye supporter, for sure. That's about it for the last fifty five court fifty five games. Yeah, true. But again, I never. <laughs> so, so how does a narrative? Well, you, you never, I mean, no, 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 no. It feels lazy. 
Well, it, it's not lazy because it, it again, how many? I'm not, I'm not accusing you of this. How, I'm how saying many, how many teams are comparable to Ohio State? I mean, Ohio State's going to blow up most teams, uh, and they're going to win by sheer talent. Again, when the talent was at least similar with Michigan, the physicality won out, and Michigan's physicality and toughness ended up being the the difference in those two games. And so, again, I, I think the narrative was true true in a lot of ways, and I think, you know, this was a good uh, chance for Ryan Day to kind of reset expectations for his program, and he took advantage of it in that moment. But even leading up to that moment, again, I mean, they, course- they kind of fed into the narrative with, with their inability to get, you know, some of those short yardage situations uh, uh, accomplished. So, uh, Again, it's uh, it's not something that needs to kind of totally define Ohio State going forward. But, I mean, the seeds, the, there are definitely reasons to believe why, you know. I'm not that, saying that, that narrative existed. Yeah, it didn't come out of thin air. But people leaned a lot into four quarters and not the rest. Of course, there are quarters and games and things that define careers and programs that matter the most. Michigan is that for Ohio State and vice versa. However, I mean, think about all the leeway and all the rope Jim Harbaugh got. He was 0-5. They didn't play the sixth year. I mean, he he was 2,000 days into his Michigan tenure and hadn't won. And no one was calling him – I mean, I mean, there were questions, but it was not toughness or soft. There were a ton of questions around the program. But I'm not saying, like, there was – like, it, was, it wasn't the same thing. And and Ohio State, that super soft Ohio State team that lost to, to – God, I've never defended Ohio State like this in my life. I don't know what's happening. I Ohio State drives me nuts, and I don't know how, how this has happened. <laughs> but I don't know. That, just, that, yeah. the Ohio State team, hold on, in 2021, won the Rose Bowl. Like, it's th- their standard is insanely high. It's, yeah, it is insanely high. But again, they're defined as Michigan is defined by the Ohio State game. And yeah, there was a lot of talk about Jim Harbaugh and how he couldn't get it done and that Urban Meyer owned him and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and uh, you know, even in 2019 when they got blasted, uh, uh, I mean, there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh, you know, and whether uh, he could get it done against Ohio State and, you know, what that loss in 2019 uh, against Ryan Day said about his program. And so, yeah, those those, those things kind of form. It's, a, it's the last game of the year. <laughs> and so it kind of leaves uh, what a, a taste in your mouth. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, depending on wh- which side you're on. Yeah. So <laughs> to 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 put a bow on 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 Ohio on Ohio State and, and our thoughts on them, uh, I was impressed. And and if you just look in, in terms of t- I guess when you think about it through the, the lens of Michigan, obviously, and the matchup in Ann Arbor that's upcoming, I don't know. I mean, before it, it felt like entering the season, Michigan felt like they were very, very well positioned. To 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 waltz through them again, I think I'd probably still pick Michigan. I, I I'm I'm not going to move off of that. However, Michigan and, and and the run game took a step forward, but just in in the trenches right now, Ohio State's not looking so, sharp and soft, and Michigan's not looking like it's going to a third Joe Moore Award. Yet it's still September. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to 
say one way or the other, but I mean, I, I feel like Michigan still has the advantage in this game. I mean, again, Ohio State doesn't look like they had the firepower. Maybe they did even the last couple of years. So uh, given the fact that Michigan has a really pretty strong defense or they've shown that to be the case so far, I think, uh, you know, Michigan's well positioned going into that Ohio State game. And I think they have the players. And, you know, again, the, the talent differential has also uh, lessened. Uh, and Michigan, again, has the uh, mental edge over Ohio State after these last two years. Yep. No, they do. That they do. There, there's no question. But I guess I'll wave my scarlet and gray pom-poms one last time to point out that Marvin Harrison Jr. did sprain his ankle in the game, right? So the the, the attack was was slightly limited. But moving on to Penn State, uh, another equally performance from another uh, really tough team in the Big Ten East. 31-zip over Iowa and Michigan's uh, former captain quarterback, Cade McNamara, uh, who was 6 of 16 for 56 yards. Iowa fumbled six times, Reiner, and lost four of them. Uh, Yeah, we know Iowa's offense is terrible. Brian Ferentz, start looking for a new job now. Uh, But Penn State continues to look as impressive as any team in the country through four weeks. True. And well, going into the uh, season, everybody was talking about their defense and it's kind of lived up to to expectations. Of course, going against Iowa, I mean, uh, it's not the biggest challenge. It's not the the biggest challenge in the world. Uh, They have a very limited scheme and limited firepower, um, even with, you know, a couple of Michigan transfers, Kane McNamara and Eric All. But uh, again, they couldn't do anything against Penn State. Uh, you know, they kept getting stopped. They couldn't move the ball, turning the ball over. It was uh, it was lights out for them pretty early in a whiteout situation. And so uh, n- not terribly surprised by the uh, final result. I mean, you know, again, considering how good Penn State's defense and what Manny Diaz has done with them, and then you consider what Iowa's offense is, it, it seemed like this was uh, kind of the result to be expected. Yeah, I, I read it wrong. Uh, I thought, well, <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see them putting the ball on the ground almost 25% of the time they had it in their hand, uh, but I digress. I, th- I, I just figured Iowa's uh, defense might pose a little more resistance, um, but eventually, if your offense cannot keep the ball at all, there is only so long that you can hold and hold and hold and hold uh, on the on the other side of the of the field. Or, 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 yes, and so... Uh, Penn State, Drew Aller, uh, can continue to keep it rolling. Uh, now, one thing I was thinking about watching um, is, and I, and I wonder if it's a product just because it was against Iowa, and the main thing is their offense will not beat you, so do not turn it over under any circumstance. He threw 37 passes for 166 yards, right? I mean, that is beyond check down, Charlie. That's like four and a half yards an attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, no one, if your final line is 60 some percent completions, four touchdowns, no picks, you will take that six days or seven days a week and twice on Saturday in, in this case. Uh, but just, just, just a note. Um, if, if Penn state may not have a downfield passing attack. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think again, 
Penn State is pretty conservative uh, for the most part offensively. Uh, they're like a typical Big Ten team. And why shouldn't they be? I mean, again, they have a really, really good defense. I mean, they don't need to go too crazy, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint. Uh, in fact, they should try to maximize their defense as much as possible. I would stick to their really talented running game and uh, and keep that going. And again, use time of possession and limit the plays defensively and uh, pick your battles uh, offensively, knowing that your defense is probably going to hold up, uh, especially if they're you know facing a limited amount of plays and uh, you're controlling the ball yourselves from an offensive standpoint. They profile very similarly to a team that you and I watch and write and cover and talk a lot about. I don't I don't know if it sounds familiar. Dominant defense, multiple capable running running backs or a good running game, weapons on the outside on the outside, a quarterback who can move the ball with his legs. I mean, certainly JJ is more uh seasoned uh than, than Drew Aller, uh who who's <laughs> who waited years behind uh, Sean Clifford, it felt like. Uh but um, or maybe last year he was just a true freshman. I think now he might be a second year. feels like he's been waiting forever. Either way, uh, Penn State and Michigan uh, feel like mirror images of, of one another, and, Penn, and that's a compliment to both. Right, and uh, last again on Saturday, Penn State's time of possession, 45 minutes and 27 seconds. Yeah, I, oh. I mean, that's a – yeah, that's a, that's a – How many first downs did Iowa get? Do you have that? I, I, let me see. Let me see. Okay. Well, as you, as you look that up, we're yeah. we're going to move on because we are we are wrapping uh, this show up. But we we felt we needed because we are talking Big Ten East, uh, and we've talked about every team other than <laughs> just about Indiana, who survived Akron and like double, triple, quadruple overtime or something at home in Bloomington. Uh, it, the, the last team to mention is, is Michigan State uh, and and Maryland. That game, uh, Maryland goes into East Lansing, thirty-one nine winner. Uh, I think Michigan State's been outscored 72 to 16 the past two weeks since the Mel Tucker debacle. Um, but it's not just that. It's since <laughs> Michigan State has also uh, started playing Power 5 competition. Now, we started this show uh, just mentioning Washington very briefly and how dominant uh, their offense was. Um, but yesterday, uh, it was not a, a dominant Washington offense that Michigan State was overmatched against uh, MSU is just real. I mean, they're trending in the wrong direction. A uh, lot of self-inflicted wounds, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, the quarterback play is shaky. You know, the defense is suspect. Um, again, Michigan State's been in steady decline since that victory over Michigan in 2021. I mean, they're 6-11 and against Power 5 teams uh, since then, and uh, it just looks like it's going to keep getting worse. Uh, again, I think Week 5 is a very critical uh, period for MSU because uh, the red, that's when the redshirt rule really comes into effect. Um, and you can see maybe some departures there. I mean, they already lost a commitment uh, on Saturday evening. It just, it's not, they're, these are not good days in East Lansing right now. Yeah, no, I read the, some, some good stories by our colleagues, uh, Chris Lowry, uh, Jeff Seidel, who, who were in East Lansing yesterday. And um, it sounds like uh, acting head coach Harlan Barnett is doing all the right things. Uh, and the players, for what for for what is being said and reported, are are trying as well. Uh, Harlan knows, the, everybody knows the, the situation you just laid out. And he said as much. He's like, look, if anybody wants to go and 
wants to jump ship, there are no hard feelings. Uh, but speak now. Now, nobody is going to raise their hand in front of an entire team. <laughs> so so it, it was sort of leading the witness a little bit. However, there is a sense of camaraderie. Mi- the Michigan State, I mean, Michigan State is a proud, is a proud program, a proud fan base. There are there are players who went there with expectation. There are players who, who are on that roster with an NFL expectation. Um and and coat and, and and everybody uh is having tryouts, whether it's for their future in East Lansing or for their future someone else somewhere else, whether that's coaches, whether that's players, everybody is, as they say, putting the tape out there. And now the reason this is relevant for our discussion is it feels as if Michigan can write this game off as one of the potential tests of the season. It seemed like a long shot early on in the year, thinking that it was going to be a test, but Michigan State at six and six will push Michigan to the brink uh, more more often than not, right? Uh, last year, and even last year, that was a bad Michigan State team that went five and seven, lost at home to Indiana. And they were in a one-possession game in the second half. Uh, it was, I mean, I think in the fourth quarter, it was like a 10-point game, right? And so Michigan controlled it the whole way. However, MSU finds a way to hang around. They often do, uh, even when they're not supposed to. Uh, in 2017, they were supposed to lose. They won 14-10. to 10. Uh, In 2015, trouble with the snap. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, that, now that was a very good Michigan State team. But in, even in 2012, uh, when Michigan won 12-10, to 10, uh, MSU and MSU was six and six that year. They lost five uh, Big Ten games by like ten or fifteen or thirteen points combined. They, I mean, it, it was it was a game winning field goal. However, this year, it, it doesn't feel like one of those Michigan State teams. No, it, it doesn't. It just they seem so limited across the board. Uh, they didn't really do anything particularly well, um, and it's just it's just remarkable considering again where they were only. A, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the 11 and two season, everything was just kind of humming and there was a lot of momentum. And now it just seems like they're, they, you know, they won't even be able to compete on the same field as, as Michigan. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't even know. I want to stop. Yeah. I want to stop short of that because I mean, I, and I, and I know you're not saying that we are speaking like just how, how it feels, but like, yeah, Michigan right. State, like as soon as we do this, like, Mark Antonio is now on that sideline. They're they're probably going to find a way. There's going to be some tricks to keep to to keep it interesting. But man, who could have seen that coming, Reiner? From that day, that Michigan State beat Michigan to go to either eight and zero or nine and zero or something, and Michigan fell. The direction Michigan has taken, and the direction Michigan State has taken. Uh, right. Just, yeah. I mean, Michigan kind of bounced back right after that. You know. Yeah. Took care of business, beat Ohio State again. Got that monkey off their back in in twenty twenty one, and went to the college. They football haven't lost in the regular te- season since. Yeah, yeah, and it's been uh, a steady rise for them, and a steady continuation of their kind of rebuild and what they've tried to do with the with the offensive line. I mean, they have a real identity. That's the thing that Michigan State has lacked. Yep. They don't have that identity, and uh, they've been searching for it pretty much the entire time that Mel Tucker has been there. I mean, the one time that they did have the identity was again, when they had Kenneth Walker, you know, they, they wanted to run the ball and uh, you know, play off of that with their, with the play action and flea flickers. And they haven't been able to recreate that. And again, the defense is, 
remained a liability throughout the whole time that he's been there. And that's, that's the thing. Like I, I just don't see how MSU against Michigan can really come up with some kind of defensive game plan that's going to limit, limit Michigan. And I also don't think, you know, judging by the quarterback play that they're going to have much success against Michigan's, you know, defensive backs, which, and secondary, once that, settles in i mean again once rod moore kind of gets back to full health and you know will johnson has got more reps under his belt and you know mike sanders is obviously playing at a very high level i mean it's going to be very challenging for michigan state to throw the ball against michigan i think yeah michigan's defense is better this year i think i'm, I'm this close to to feeling very confident in that and msu's offense is certainly works and has a less ex- no matter who it is, a less experienced quarterback than, than Peyton Thorne last year. And there's no key on and no one to just throw up five jump balls for 150 yeah. yards to. That was yeah. the entirety yeah. of the offense. And right. it's just to, to put a bow on it, it's remarkable. And it's easy to kick someone when they're down, uh, which which Mel Tucker certainly is. But the smoke and mirrors uh, that Mel Tucker was at Michigan State might be might be second to none that I've ever seen that identity you talk about in 2021. That is Kenneth Walker was literally yes. Mel Tucker gets quite credit for acquiring the best transfer player, Porter player, maybe in the history of the portal thus far in the, in the, in, in the recent portal era. Um, certainly the most impactful as we've seen where Michigan state has gone since him, Michigan state's identity was Kenneth Walker here. Please go save us. Or, as you said with the flea flickers, it's let's hand it to Kenneth Walker so everyone thinks he's going to get it, and then he throws it back to the quarterback so he can throw it to someone else. It was in touch. He ran for all five touchdowns in the win over Michigan uh, in East Lansing that year. I mean, it, 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 was, it was. Michigan fans were right. It was one man who, who did it. And boy, oh boy, uh, how, how, how things have, have changed uh, in East Lansing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's it's kind of sad to see um, in the sense that, again, they they look like they had something going there, but again, it was a mirage, uh, and it quickly faded away in uh, 2022, and it just has gotten progressively worse since then. And this rivalry is back now. Last year, the tunnel. I mean, with everything that happened, it got ugly, um, and 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 the, and the rivalry became unfun. Uh, for for a while, and and I'm sure once we get closer to the game, the, uh, like some of the ugliness will come will come back. But in general, this rivalry is best when both teams are at their best. Uh, I, I I know people in the Michigan State circles. Yes, they enjoyed hammering Michigan in the Brady Hoke years in 2013 and 2014 uh, when when they just annihilated them in a couple games back to back in East Lansing. But certainly, I would imagine. The 2015 win, I mean, not just because of how it happened, uh, but beating a team, a Michigan team that had everything to play for, that means way more on that end. And, and and the same goes for Michigan. Beating an MSU team who who's playing for something that matters, uh, but that has that hasn't really happened uh in in, in many, many, many years. Many years. Uh all the times Michigan wins has been sort of these things. I mean it's not Michigan's fault that Michigan state has had a number of down years lately, but that's, that's just sort of the way it's been going. Um, and it does not look like Michigan state is going to po- pose any real problems for, for Michigan again here. Wow. Uh, I did not see the big 10 segment, uh, 
overtaking uh, th- this show, but uh, it, it's it's Big Ten season, and there, I mean, and it's interesting. It's three, it, it is, it is as interesting as it gets, and 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 Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, three <laughs> uber elite teams uh, that are all that that are all going to get to meet, and we get to watch it unfold uh, ahead of us. So Reiner, uh, good work as always. Thanks for thanks for uh, putting up with my with my rants. Andrew Burkle, uh, behind the scenes, our sports editor and our show's producer. Uh, that's who we really, really, really could not uh, make this all happen without. Uh, and then also, we got to give our thanks to editor in chief Nicole Avery Nichols, executive editor Anjanette Delgado, sports editor Kirkland Crawford, and audio engineer Robin Chan, uh, who who make everything else happen behind the scenes. So we have the platform to to do this. All right, we are rocking and rolling, Reiner. We are next time uh, I see you, it will be our final. Well, I'll see you in person. Uh, at Schembechler Hall on Monday. But next time we talk, we will be previewing Michigan's first road trip of the year to Nebraska. Uh, we're going to be staying uh, at, at some random courtyard somewhere between Omaha and Lincoln <laughs> next weekend. Uh, I will uh, rely on you uh, to, to show me the ropes. It will be my first time in Nebraska. Have you been there? I've not been to Nebraska, actually. So oh, I'm, God. Uh, the blind leading the blind. It will be the blind leading the blind. And, uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard it's a great environment, uh, a cool place to watch a game, and uh, certainly a tradition, tradition-rich stronghold is Nebraska. So it should be, should be fun. Mikey Sandersill said it is still his favorite college football environment outside the big house. So we have that to look forward to. All right. We gave our thanks. Uh, be sure to do your part and subscribe, like, review. Uh, we'll see you next time. This is Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.